Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. Uh, today, I'm solo hosting. Uh, this is Alan Weima. And today, we have Carlos. Uh, Carlos yeah. is, I believe you're the creator of Nebulex. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Awesome. So I, I didn't want to get it wrong, but I figured since your name is, uh, since it looks like your, your profile is, is, is hosting yeah. the project, I thought I'd just double check. You never really know. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we were talking a little bit about what is Nebulex and, and my experiences in caching. So um, looks like Nebulex is, is a uh, caching library for, uh, uh, should be able to be easily plugged into existing Elixir applications. Is that, is that how you would, you would say it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's more kind of a framework uh, for caching rather than just a, uh, a specific caching implementation. You know, that's probably the, the main difference. It's more like a framework or toolkit uh, that provides different features, like uh, um, a, a single a catch abstraction layer plus a idiomatic a catching via decorators that we can talk about that later, plus a how to um, craft a distributing caching topologies and so on. Right. So it, it's not just like a library uh, itself, but it is more than that. Yeah, well, why don't we just get right into it? Because uh, this is a very interesting thing because caching is not something we always do uh, in Elixir mm-hmm. applications, but there is sometimes that we do do it, right? So for instance, I have uh, an app uh, I'm working on for a client. Uh, we actually do quite a bit of caching of just report data because it does take some time to grab that data. And um, you know, we just cache it in memory. Just, and by caching, I doesn't even just hold it in memory, right? Which is basically what a cache uh, is to a certain extent. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, we were also talking before, um, I needed to um, actually cache uh, data. Uh, so there was a, um, I made uh, a live view application quite a few years ago. Um, and what would happen is, I guess people had flaky interconnections. And so what I would do is I would just cache the data. Uh, and then if their connection ever went bad and they came back to it, we would already have that data cached. And, uh, you know, it worked great uh, for what uh, problem I was trying to solve. And, uh, yeah, that worked great. Uh, I, wasn't, I think I did see Nebulex at the time. Uh, it looked like a little bit overkill for me because I, I needed a key. I needed sure. to pull the data, put the data, and that was basically it. So Cache S looks like the perfect solution. But it looks like uh, Nebulex is a huge uh, um, kind of fully featured uh, library. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start. I, you you were you were talking a little bit before, and I don't even know what to say about it. Like it's it seems like it's got a lot of bells and whistles. Do you mind to maybe kind of build us up and talk about some of the interesting features and why we should be looking sure. at Nebulex? Sure. Let, let's first start with the with the probably the the main one, and probably was uh, the the main reason uh, I decided to create it in Nebulex. Uh, it's the 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 catching abstraction layer. So um, actually, be like long time ago, years years back, before even it start with uh, with uh, with Elixir, and actually I started with Erlang first. Um, I used to also work with with catch and distributed systems and so on uh, back then with Java. And a cool thing about Java was framework uh, standards that like, you know that we have standards for everything like JTA, like for, for persistence transactions, even for catch, right? So then uh, there are nice things like Spring Framework and, and so on that I, uh, it was very nice to work with them. And then when I start, when I moved to Erlang and then Elixir, 
I wanted to bring to bring it up. Uh, so because it, you know that even even with the persistence with Ecto, we have that ability to switch from one database to another without making too huge changes to the to the code, right? With and even if you think about it. That doesn't happen that often. I mean, it, it doesn't happen often that you change Postgres by MySQL or something like that. But you want to be safe and have that uh, confident that you can do it at, at any time if you need it, right? With the catch, actually happens more often they, they, than you think because uh, it, it, it basically depends also uh, the magnitude of, of the project. So you see more often that people changes from a regular in-memory catch, like for instance, CacheX or ConCache, which is are very known catches in Elixir, to something like Redis, right? Um, and again, if you do that, it, you have to do a lot of changes because the way you interact with Redis is very different in the way you interact with catches, right? And and in, in my projects, actually, I faced that, that problem and, and a lot of boilerplate code and so on. So I wanted to... To I started thinking it would be interesting to have something like like I used to have it in, in Java, you know, more kind of a framework that allowed me to more like Ecto, but for catching, having that kind of framework that have a, a like see like a like a the well defined a catch API right that I interact with and underneath a, have a adapters that I can just plug in based on according to my a, to my needs. It could be Redis, it could be CatchX. It could be concatch. I can build my own adapter. Um, so that's probably the main main feature about Nebulet, and it's having that ability to to. It's not it's not actually excluding or or having another option to, to catch it because actually there is an adapter for catches. You can use Nebulet and having a catches as a, a as adapter, right? Um, so in that way, you can also feel safety that at the moment you want to switch to something like Redis, uh, you can do it without doing too much changes uh, to your code. Uh, and actually, you you mentioned uh, a very um, known example, which is uh, catching, for instance, things like user sessions, connections, and so on. Uh, when when you start a project, the project is is probably small enough, and like you mentioned, probably. Uh, it might be too overkill to start thinking about something uh, like a framework or something like that. So it's fine. But at some point, if your project grows, you might realize that, okay, but what about if I have uh, multiple instances of my application and I want to basically, uh, I don't know, I have tokens or sessions that I want to, uh, to work in a more distributed way, you know? So in that sense, probably the in-memory catch is not a, an ideal solution anymore because you, you're going to have to replicate data across the different instances. So you can basically replace that by something like Redis, right? Or maybe uh, another distributed catch solution. Um, and this is the burden or the, the, the that uh, complexity that uh, Nebulix tried to, to address. You know? So that that's the the probably the first and and the main uh, idea. Uh, so I don't know before uh, start talking about something else if we want to discuss something about it. Or I don't know questions. Yeah, I mean this is actually pretty cool. Um, I didn't even uh, I started looking more into this. It's quite interesting. Um, so you have the of course the the local adapter, which is basically like an in memory cache or. Uh, but then you have different uh, backends for that even too. You have ETS or shards. 
Now the shards yeah. is is what exactly? Is that going across different nodes or how does the sharding actually work? Uh, okay, yeah, that's uh, uh, for instance when uh, when I created uh, Nebulex uh, for the first time, the idea was also to provide like a building implementation. You no, know? um, so Nebulex brings with it some uh, building adapters like the local adapter. Uh, like the partition, the replicated, and, uh, and the multi-level adapters. And those adapters, the idea is be able to build distributed caching topologies. Um, so starting with the local adapter, like you mentioned, the local adapter is built on top of the ETS tables. Um, Nchart is another project uh, built in Erlang, another uh, other of my projects. And the idea of charts is basically uh, doing something. I don't know if you have checked the, the implementation of the Elixir registry, that it works with partitions. ETS is great and works great, but uh, if you want, but you can also scale it out when you are facing like a huge workloads. So you can think about instead of having one ETS table to have multiple ETS table and distribute the traffic across them in term, and do some implement some sort of charting topology. For that, uh, so charts. What it's basically a library that provides the same API as the ETS, but with the charting underneath it. Right. Uh, this is a pattern implemented by several projects like Phoenix pops up, uh, the registry, uh, and so on. But this is chart is more generic because it's basically having the same ETS tables, the same API. Uh, and, and in fact, the only thing you have to do is basically replace the ETS uh, uh, by charts, and, and that's it. You can use the same functions. Uh, there are some options that you can specify the number of, part of partitions and so on. So the local adapter, what it does is give you the ability to configure the package, whether you want simple ETS table with address most of the cases, or if you want to do something uh, with charts because you are going to basically be able to handle a larger workloads, something like that. Okay, interesting. I'm kind of curious, like, why would you even want to uh, support CacheX if you already have this local adapter? I mean, I mean, is there really a big difference? Is there something that CacheX gives you over uh, the local adapter? Because you, yeah, you do have an adapter for that, right? Yeah, exactly. That that's a good question. Um, well, when the project when I started the project for the first time, uh, the idea was, uh, yeah, provide this framework, but at the same time, maybe provide another implementation. You know that the the catch is also a a huge thing. It, it depends. I mean, it could be several ways to implement a, a catch, uh, several eviction mechanism uh, algorithms that you can implement. So first of all, um, I wanted to create something uh, built in, uh, also to be able to to test the catch itself. You know, to be have something in the project and and. And yeah, just provide something out of the box for someone that don't want to maybe add uh, other dependencies on, and also put something different on the table, right? So this local adapter is is another flavor or another implementation of a catch, and actually is inspired by a, a very old Erlang project uh, called Epoxy. Um, Epoxy implements different uh, patterns on top of the ETS. One of them is the catch, and the catch is implemented this generational catch uh, idea. Uh, it's very simple, but actually, I think is very powerful as well because uh, I mean, simple things work very, very, uh, very good. So, I decided to to provide that implementation. Um, I could use catch it, of course. Yeah, 
uh, but I wanted to provide something something else uh, because it's always good to have several options to 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 choose. Uh, and we have several projects on Elixir, but actually not as many as as actually we would like to have, like maybe in other. A communities like, for instance, Java, that you have tons of them and, and you have several flavors with different algorithms, different, and you can use one or another depending on, on what you want to achieve. So, so yeah, this is, this, I mean, in terms of the catch, is the same thing. You can do the same thing, but underneath the implementation is very, very, very different. It works very different. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's the, that was the, the idea. And then, of course, since the other main idea of, of Nebulet was addressing the, the distributed caching topologies, um, I introduced these other adapters, which is the partition uh, and, and multi-level adapter. There are other, other caching topologies, like the, the partition topology, where uh, you basically have, it's pretty much like a charting topology for, for your catch, but doing it uh, out of the box. So you basically use the partition adapter, you configure it, and if you have an, an electric cluster, it works uh, transparently uh, in that electric cluster. If you don't want to use something like Redis, for instance, right? Mm. Um, because this is one of the topologies of, of, of the distributed caching. The other topology is the replicated uh, caching, where uh, you want to basically ensure that data is in all the caching nodes. Uh, it's probably the most challenging one. And, um, and there are there are pros and cons of each of them. So that's why, depending on your needs, you you have to decide which one to, to fit better uh, to your, in your project. Okay. Um, and finally, the multi-level, because sometimes you want to actually uh, mix uh, these uh, uh, topologies. Like, for instance, uh, imagine that you have the partition topology, but one of the downside of the partition topology is that now you have network a network layer, so you need a network hub to go to that node and bring the data uh, to, your, uh, uh, to your application and then return it, right? Um, so there is another distributed caching topology, which is called uh, near caching, uh, where you provide uh, like a multi-level catch. You have the L1, the L2, the L1 could be a local catch and the L2 could be a distributed catch. And even if you go beyond, the L3 could be even the database or something like that, right? Um, so you can also implement something like that. And in this way, the multi-level, the idea is that if the data is not in, if, for instance, you go to the database, uh, then you put it into the L2, L1, but if the data is not in the L2, you go to the L2, bring it back and put it in the L1 and so on. Um, in that way, you also avoid the, the network uh, calls, right? And you make the, the catch uh, faster. Uh, but of course, like everything, there is a price. And the price is that, of course, you are going to utilize more memory because now you have to, to have some uh, a local catch in, in your application. So you have to have a space for it. You're going to spend a little bit more resources for that. Uh, but it addresses the... Uh, let's say the downside of the partition catch, eh, avoiding network calls eh, as much as possible. Right. Um, so yeah. yeah, sorry. I was taking a look at your library to understand some more about it. It's really intense, man. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about if I ever use this thing. It's, it's, like, <laughs> a, it's like a whole, um, I don't even know what do you call it. It's almost like a framework all in itself. 
yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that's why that's why that's the main difference because it's, it's not just like a library. It's, it's more kind of a framework because there are yeah, several yeah. things that you can use to to build topologies. In in we haven't even talked about the the other part, which is probably one of the most interesting part, which is the idiomatic uh, catching via decorators. Uh, implementing yeah. different catching patterns and, and so on, which is very nice because just decorating functions, you can apply the, the catching to your, uh, for instance, if you are using Ecto uh, and you have a, or your Phoenix application and you have your context, you can just decorate different functions and having the catching out of the box. And, and that's a very, very cool thing. And I've used it actually in my projects uh, um, a lot. Yeah, this is intense. I never actually thought about taking the time to actually cache data. I mean, I, I suppose sometimes it could be quite useful, um, but you know, like with it with Elixir being so fast and exactly, it's, yeah. sometimes it's not worth it. But you know, it, it could be worth it if you get really like a ton of of uh, of read data, right? If you have stuff that's mostly not being changed, and you know, why not? Especially if things are always getting uh, read, right? I mean, why not even take the time to even go to the database? Just return what you know this. Uh, data that's never really being changed, right? Absolutely, I think that uh, probably catching is is uh, one of the most known and, and simple uh, techniques for addressing performance. And sometimes, um, I mean, we are when we deploy our, our applications, for instance, in AWS or any any cloud. You know that the most uh, expensive resources are actually databases. For instance, if you work mm. with AWS, uh, things like Dynamo. So you want to re to optimize the calls you, you do to Dynamo because they are these super expensive. Same with RDS. Uh, and, and at the same time, if you are using something like Postgres or a relational database that it's difficult to scale out, maybe you can do something with, with a catch. So, it's always good to think about as much as you can catch. Uh, just put it uh, put it there because it's going to to reduce database contention. Uh, it's going to improve the the performance uh, of your application. But of course, depending on the project, it could be overkill. If we're talking about yeah. like a small project with just few users, it probably it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about like um, you know I, I have a current project right now that's using a GraphQL API. And I have to, you know, pull the user and then pull um, the, like, there's like a tenanted uh, database uh, kind of thing. And then check to see if they're actually related. Like, is this user actually allowed to look at this data? Mm -hmm. And for basically every single call that they're making, I have to do this thing. So yeah. why not cache it? I mean, they're not often updating them themselves. So why not cache the user? They're not Absolutely. really updating that main tenant thing. So why not cache that one? Exactly. Uh, and if they are, then you have this awesome... Like, I love that you're using this decorator thing because I did hear about this decorator like last week suddenly. I never heard about it before. But um, actually, I, I didn't really agree with it because I'm not a huge fan of Python and Python's a big fan of these decorators. But actually, I do like this because it does make things so easy, right? With yeah. how you're doing this stuff. I'm yeah. really inspired to actually put this in. <laughs> just to see... <laughs> You know, will that actually be nicer? You know, will my API calls be a little bit faster? Right? It could be worth it. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, you mentioned something really, really important. Uh, and and actually, when we build applications, uh, I mean, it's good. You know that we first uh, 
the first step is just make it work. But then we start to to the next step, which is make it fast. And then we start thinking about, okay, how we can optimize things. And this is the, the reasoning that you, you're talking about, like, hey, uh, we are we are we are doing this several times and and and, and the data probably it doesn't change that often. Probably we can put this in memory because it will actually make much faster the uh the application. And at the same time, it, it uh, basically reduce the contention to the database. So we actually, we can have like a, like a smaller database because again, it scale uh, things like Postgres on AWS or on, on in any cloud is, is expensive. And if you're using Google, Spanner is also very expensive. So yeah, this, this is a, a good way. And these are the, the creators actually was an idea. I brought this from Spring a Catching, a, which this is framework in, in Java framework. And, you know, in Java, I mean, we call them annotations. Uh, and it was very nice because it was this idiomatic way to, to work with the catch. So I really wanted to, to implement it on Elixir. And I start working on it. And then, of course, I needed to implement my annotations. But then I, I came across with this awesome project, which is Decorator. And I said, this is it. I mean, this is what I needed. What I'm going to just re-implement the, the wheel here if I have an amazing project, which is Decorator. So, uh, but it, it does pretty much the same thing that, uh, that uh, for instance, we do with the Spring uh, uh, catching in Java with the annotations. So I wanted to, to do that thing like annotations, annotating uh, methods or functions and, and putting a catching in that, in that way. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it looks much simpler. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not even just about looking simpler, like because even though things are simple to to read and all stuff, it's like, does it really make sense? I, I guess simple to read is kind of the thing. Is like, I, I read it and it makes sense, and 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 I like that you have the both the you know the caching part and also the purging part because that's also exactly. huge too. That's exactly, stuff that you don't yeah. want to forget about, right? Absolutely, that's very important because sometimes you think. Of, I mean, if we think about the, the catch and people uh, sometimes is is afraid of using it because, uh, which is normal because we said, yeah, um, we want to maybe go to the database and maybe catch the data. But what if the data changes in the database? And this this is a totally valid point. But that this is where the other catching patterns uh, come in, uh, which is the eviction or how we can purge that data. So in the same way, we annotate functions to, for catching a uh, Data, we can also have annotations for purging data, like you mentioned. So if, if you think about Ecto, uh, and uh, I'm talking about Phoenix and Ecto because probably I would say that more than 90% of the applications are, are, are built on top of this. So following this idea of the schemas and the context where you have the functions to interact with your data, which is in other languages, uh, object-oriented programming, we also call them the data access objects, right? Um, so you have functions like get get the user account, right? But at the same time, you have functions like update user account. Maybe the user uh, updated the password or something like that. So you can annotate that. You can say, hey, if this happened, please remove the key because I, I, don't, I want to basically invalidate that key from the cache. So the next time, uh, we basically retrieve it from the database again and, and we put it there. Um, this is one option. The other option, it's maybe updated. 
right? And we don't have to basically uh, cache it again, or maybe we, we, we also avoid to go to the database. But yeah, you have the options. Like I said, there, this thing's got a lot of stuff in it. I mean, how long have you been working on this idea? It must be just like years, right? Because it's just yeah. all of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, it's in the beginning, it took like, a, the, I mean, the, the first version of Nebulix, it took all like a year. Yeah, like, like you said, I mean, it took a lot of time because the idea was to, uh, I mean, the, the initial uh, project was uh, provide the, the caching abstraction layer as well as these decorator things. So, so and, and of course, the adapters for the project topologies. So it was, yeah, it was a, a lot of work. Um, and it's always a lot of work, um, which yeah. is at the moment, for instance, um, I've been working on the on the version three of the project like one year ago. Uh, I'm about to finish it, so we will be see the, the next version very soon, uh, hopefully. So, but yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, th- I mean, that's huge, though, right? So you already had version one, which not everybody will ever get to. <laughs> version yeah. two, like, what was the difference between version one and version two? Because obviously, we're approaching the end of life for version two to a certain extent. Yeah, there, there were several, let's say, implementation improvements uh, uh, on that. Uh, we re- uh, be- also deprecated a lot of things that uh, weren't necessary anymore. I mean, at the beginning, the project was, uh, had a lot of things that probably they weren't that necessary. And I realized about it. You know that the first version of, of a project is is not always the best. <laughs> Actually, it's just the first version. And then once it the project uh, started to get uh, more traction, more comments. And this is the, the best thing about uh, the open source project because you start uh, getting comments, suggestions uh, from the community. And I realized about, about a lot of improvements and changes that uh, that made a lot, a lot of sense. So after maybe having the project like uh, another year or some time, uh, and collecting those uh, ideas, suggestions, improvements, we said, okay, it's let's start working on something uh, different, some breaking changes because probably the API can change a little bit. Probably we are going to, to deprecate some features because they are not didn't need it anymore. So that's probably the 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 jumping from one to two was mainly deprecating uh, some things as well as uh, imp- imp- implementation improvements. Um, and this one, for instance, is probably the the biggest one. The the the, the jump from the two to, to three is going to be huge because it will mean like a like a. And this is actually based on on the community because the the main change on this new version is going to be the API. It's not like we are not going to be able to do the same thing we are doing it. We are we we will be able to do the same thing, but the API is gonna is gonna change significantly. Because if you take a look at the API, it is not this error topple thing. Because it, it, it had a, a like a different idea, again, inspired by, by Ecto. Um, of course, in Ecto, you know that we have the, the error topples, but it basically uh, mainly for chain set errors. Uh, but you don't get errors, for instance, when there is a database connection. You just get an exception. So it was actually uh, maybe inspired by that. That's why there's no topples because in 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 the catch we don't have schemas, we don't validate uh, chain sets or things like that, right? So that's why if you take a look at the get function, which is the what, one of the, the base ones, 
is just uh, giving a key and it will return the value or nil, for instance, right? But then with time, people start, and once I launched the adaptive for Redis, it was a huge change because it, it, the, the catch, and, and, and again, I, re, I start realizing that catch is good to, to, to be inspired by other projects like Ecto, which is a state of art in the persistent, which is very, very nice. But at some point, you need to understand that they have a lot of differences and they need to evolve also different. In the catch, probably it makes more sense to be aware about the errors. Because, for instance, it's not that critical when you crash because the catch is, there's something wrong with the catch. On the database, on the other hand, it's critical if the database uh, is down. So probably it, it, it makes more sense. But on the catch, on the other hand, I start receiving uh, comments like, hey, but I don't want to basically crash if the, if the catch is not there because at the end of the day, the database is available and I can get the data from there, which is true. So what if we are able to handle the, the errors from, from, from our side? So this is the first change that is going to be introduced in Nebulix version 3, that we're going to have a full a OK error topple API and, of course, the, the bank functions. Uh, to avoid the, the topples here if we want to, which basically follows the same idea as the current API. But we're going to be able to, to use the other ones with the with the OK error topples to be able to to handle the errors on 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 the user uh, on the user side. Um, there are others, but I would say that that's probably the the major change that, that is going to be introduced in, in Nebulix. But but I think it's 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 very positive because it's going to give more flexibility. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. I, I can understand either using like, you know, return the data or return nil or return uh, a tuple version. I, I don't know. I'm not really, like you said, it makes sense because you wanted to follow kind of the Ecto style. Yeah. I don't know. I, do, you, do you have a preference if you think it should be an okay tuple or if it should be like returning either the data or nil? Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, it depends. Uh, for instance, if 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 you are using a local adapter, the local adapter, for instance, it doesn't make sense because uh, it's built on top of the ETS tables. So there's nothing uh, actually. If something goes wrong, you are going to just get an exception anyway, right? But on the other hand, if you are working with Redis, it's different because you can get connection errors. And probably if you get a connection error, you want to go to the database, right? So it makes more sense. So it depends on 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 the catch. That you or the adapter that that you are using, uh, that you might use one approach or another. Um, I mean, I'm, I like this idea of the oh, as it is right now because uh, it's like if something goes wrong, just crash and see what is going on because it's it's just having this idea that it shouldn't crash. But at the same time, I I also I've had some cases where using specifically the the race where um, there are some connections errors that probably, yeah, but I don't really want to, to crash because I would like to do something else. So I totally, I totally get that, uh, you know? So it's, it's very subjective and that's why in the version three, uh, we're going to give that flexibility. You are going to be able to choose one approach or another. It's, it's basically up to the user. I don't have strong preferences, honestly. I think that is based on on the project itself, and in this idea, okay, what I want to do is if something goes wrong with the caches, do I want to, to to crash, or do I want to, or do I want to do something about it? 
if you think that there's no there's nothing or uh, that you you want to do or there's nothing else just yeah we can just follow the, the idea of let it crash and, and and using the bank functions in, in, in this case um but yeah I, I think no no strong preferences especially because uh, in my projects at least uh, the feature that I use most is the decorators. So it's very weird or is very specific when I use the, the the API directly. You know, when I call the API directly, I I, I use it, but not that often as, as the decorators, for instance. Um, and if you are using the decorators, you don't need to worry about it because that's completely hidden for you. And in the decorator, you can actually tell the decorator, hey, if something goes wrong, rise or do nothing. In this case, if you say do nothing, you, the logic uh, that is being decorated is going to be executed anyway. So having said that, I would say that if you are basically using decorators, it doesn't really matter. Actually, you are not going to be affected at all uh, for, for the change. Um, yeah, it's more for those cases that we use the cache directly for doing some other stuff. I was just thinking about, about the cache, right? I was looking this up, but obviously you're the person who would know uh, most about this stuff. Um, so, for the if you add a decorator for for caching something, right? Yeah. And then you have the one for uh, busting the cache, right? Purging the cache. Yep. Is there a way that it can uh, selectively bu- uh, burst? Uh, what do you call it? Purge the cache or not? Because you may have something, say, maybe some kind of ecto multi, right? Yep. And you're expecting it to update one of the fields on your data. And you obviously want to bust the cache on one of those things or all of them. Now, my, my question is this. like Obviously, with the Ecto Multi, it's either all or nothing when you update. So would it be able to actually read that saying, okay, this actually failed. So it's actually been rolled back. So actually do not continue to, um, to purge the cache. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... There is a, um, you can, in, in this case, there is an option, uh, which is the match option that we can basically play with the result of the, of the function, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so based on the result of the function, you can decide whether or not the, the result should be cached or, or not. But the decorators actually are very related because, for instance, if you're going to catch something, is based on the key. Uh, for instance, the user ID, right, or, or the mm-hmm. user email, or something like that, right. So, in the eviction or in the purging part, you need to reference uh, the same key. Otherwise, you, I mean, it's you know they, they are related. So you you have to say, hey, remove uh, this entry with this uh, with this key. So if we are using if we are doing some operation, for instance, some update operations with the with a multi, I, I I totally get that, and and this is a cool thing because uh, with the there is the other decorator is the catch put, which is an update, and with the catch put you can also use the match function, and based on the result you can decide that you can basically selectively, like you said, you can say you can tell the uh, the decorator, hey, this uh, catch this or just skip it, don't 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 do nothing, for instance, because it was rolled back, so it doesn't make sense to remove it from the catch. So, so yeah, I would say that there is a way we can play with it, uh, but of course, I mean, uh, there might be there are so many use cases that we need to 
to look into them uh, specifically to see how we can we can tweak it and, and we can make it work. I don't know. Did you ever expect that you'd be some kind of caching expert now? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I don't know if an expert. I, I would say that uh, I've I've been in uh, because of my projects actually uh, and and the companies I've worked with. Uh, actually, even before starting with with Erlang and, and Elixir, I've been involved with these data uh, uh, different data projects and 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 catching was. A lot that was mentioned a lot back in 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 those days. So I've ha- I had to work with databases and caches a lot. So I mean, yeah, I have a good experience on it, and and that's why I said, okay, I want to to do something different on Elixir to provide something uh, like in other languages, you know. Um, so that's why this is a kind of a of a mix of inspirations from from some things from the Java world plus uh, Ecto, and so yeah, it was uh, was a cool thing. But but I'm still learning, you know. Catching is a is a huge uh, world, and people sometimes uh, it's it's funny because people sometimes uh, one might think that just putting things in memory is catching. It's not necessarily catch. Uh, you can do in-memory storage, but it's not necessarily a catch. A catch involves is something very important, which is the eviction, right? How you are going to, to, to evict the data, right? How you are going to manage the memory? Because the idea of a catch is that if you have limited space, you have, for instance, one gigabyte of memory, you don't want to run out of space and you want to optimize that space as much as you, as you can. So if you are full of space, what entry are you going to ex- expire? For instance, so and this is where the eviction policies uh, come in, and this is where the catching be- becomes complex, because there are some algorithms that that are very very uh, complex to to implement. Um, I would love to, to have, for instance, in in Elixir something. I don't know if, if maybe you have heard about this. Uh, there is an awesome catch in, in in Java, which is caffeine, and that implements mm, yeah, a, like a very yeah a very nice algorithm. So, but let's see. I mean, uh, right now it's a lot of work, but but uh, it would be nice to have, you know, even more options. Let's say having other catches uh, with different implementations. And when we think about catch, just don't think about uh, speed. Yeah, speed is one of the things that you are interested in. But it's, it's not only that, right? Um, there are other things that you have to, to keep in mind. And this is where maybe a, a catch that is not that fast as the other might be even better for you because probably it's more stable. It keeps the memory uh, in a more healthier, you know. Um, it handles the memory in a better way. So, and this is sometimes is, is, is even more important. So sometimes it, if, if one catch is faster than other in terms of few milliseconds, it maybe it doesn't really, really matter. So that's why... I recommend don't be too attached to those things like, hey, this catch is working in terms of a hundred microseconds, but this one is a hundred milliseconds. I mean, that's a good thing. Of course, you have to look into it, but at the same time, you have to also explore other things beyond that. Okay, yeah. I I mean, I, I was actually kind of so stuck on, like you're saying you're still doing lots of research and stuff, 
I mean, to me, it's caching is just okay. You know, you, you have this data, you want to make sure it stays in some type of easier place than normal. Uh, and you need to have a key to it. And you need to know when to what we call bust the cache, right? When to purge the cache. I believe you often yeah. use that word. I mean, is it really so complicated to do this kind of caching? I mean, it doesn't <laughs> sound so difficult at a high level. You're laughing at me. Am I asking no, no. Uh, another very smart question? Or no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a very good question. And actually, it could be as, as complex as you want. And it, and it depends on the algorithm that, that you are going to implement. It could be as simple as, for instance, a, one of the, of the usual or more a, most common patterns that you're talking about. Like, for instance, yeah, you put something in memory. And you just put uh, an extra field, which is the, the timestamp, and you can just expire data on demand, right? The problem with that approach is that you are not constantly uh, removing data, expired data, right? Um, and so we, we can start with something simple as this, right? Like, okay, let's start, let's put a, a, a function to store data. We can use an ETS table. We put the data to the ETS table. That's so far so good. Then we have the function to retrieve the data from, from the ETS table. So then we need to add a mechanism to expire data. So let's say, okay, let's do something simple. We put a timestamp there in, in, in the entry of, of the cache. So every time we retrieve the data, we compare the timestamp and we can validate if, if the entry has expired already or not, right? So that's that, so far so good. That is actually is very, very simple to implement. Um, and we can take it from here. Um, so far, so good is simple, but there is a problem that you are, you are evicting the data on demand only when you retrieve it. So if you have a lot of traffic and you have uh, huge workloads and, and a lot of, I don't know, it, it also depends on the project you have, you can basically uh, face a situation where you are full and, or you can run out of memory because actually you are not controlling how much memory you're going to consume, right? So it can just kill the application at some point because you are just putting data on the cache and you are not validating that. So, okay, and then you can start thinking, okay, but we can do a validation. We can validate the size of the cache, how many entries, right? That's one idea. uh, which, yeah, it, 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 let's say it's a good approach, but not the best one because uh, it only tells you the number of entries. It could be one million, but maybe one entry is, is a, a large enough and only with few entries, you might run out of memory. So it depends. So it may, it's maybe better to validate the, uh, the consumed memory. You can also validate that. So you see, so from one simple thing, you can start complicating it a little bit more because you want a safer approach. So you need to uh, guarantee that your memory is going to remain healthy because you don't want to kill your application because the catch consumed the entire memory, right? Um, and, and then we can make it even more uh, complicated than that because, uh, so imagine that then you put the validation on the memory. So what are you going to do if you reach the maximum uh, a load bytes uh, that you configure? So how you, are go- how you are going to decide what data to remove from the cache? So you might think, okay, we can basically uh, expire, uh, just remove the data that is already expired. Yeah, that's uh, uh, another, uh, like a simple approach. Um, but maybe, 
it's it's not the best for for some other cases. Maybe it's not going to make a a, a difference depending on the case. So that's why there might be more complicated algorithms that uh, validates a more thing that actually in, in a smarter way, they know what are the entries that are not used that often and hasn't been accessed uh, in the last X period of time or the, I don't know. I, I think that you have uh, seen these, uh, the less frequent use, the, the most recent or these things about those are the eviction policies. And this is where the, the catch start uh, complicating a little bit more. Because depending on that algorithm, it it becomes more and more complex, right? Because then down, then you want to decide, okay, if you if you want to to be very efficient and just expire the data that you are not using, you need to now implement a mechanism how you are going to tag that data that it's not going that is not being used that often. So you see, so we can jump from a very simple thing to a very uh, complicated thing. Um, I would say that uh, that the probably the for me uh, the most complicated part about implementing a catch is that is the eviction how how you the eviction policy, right? Um, and this is actually what makes the difference between well one of the the main reasons or, or the, the main difference uh, among the, the catches. Yeah, that's also what I was thinking. It's always like when do you invalidate that cache? It's it could it's sure at the beginning it's going to be pretty simple, but later on, yeah, yeah, you've definitely explained it. It can get quite complicated. Yeah, that, that and and we're talking about just local catch, and yeah. and look, even even with local catch, it might be very complex depending on the algorithm that we we want to implement. For instance, I would love to implement something like the, the caffeine. At some point, I want to, to do that. But that's a, a more complex algorithm that, for instance, the generational catch that I have right now, it's the generational catch is actually uh, quite simple compared to, to, to that other one. Um, but if we, and then from local catch, we go to the distributed catching, then it starts getting more and more uh, complicated uh, because now you, it's not local, it's distributed. And if you think about, for instance, the replicated uh, catch, it's very challenging because it means that the so first of all the the, the um, this uh, replicated topology is basically for optimizing reads and probably could be the best one because it guarantees that you have the data locally and when you read the data is available locally to return it. The only let's say the downside of the of the replicated catch is the writes. So that's why if your application is like 80% reads and 20% writes, it's maybe it's a good fit for you. But it's now it becomes like a 50-50 or something like that. Maybe not that much because uh, every time you there is a write, you have to replicate the data on the different nodes of the of the cache. And what if one failed? And then you start thinking about those corner cases. And, and yeah, it, it gets more and more complicated. Yeah, this is this is uh, a tricky topic. I, I, I think that you know you definitely changed my mind. Uh, like I said, I, I think I've mentioned this podcast, but for sure uh, when we were talking just ourselves, I thought this was a little bit too much. Uh, but just I didn't look too much at it in terms of actually really read and understand everything. I just saw all the text and all the features, and I was like, oh my god, I just want to store something with a key. That's it. It was. <laughs> 
it was a little bit daunting at first, uh, but now that you've we've walked through it and I've taken the time to read some stuff myself, you've definitely taken your time to explain it. I think that this is definitely the new caching library that I'm interested to use. Um, yeah. and, and it's very powerful. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. When is uh, 3.0 going to drop? Well, um, actually, <laughs> it was scheduled by mid of this year, but I've been super busy. Uh, but I'm doing my best to uh, at least to get it done by maybe February next year. Mm-hmm. Um, most likely, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm getting there because at least, um, well, just to, to give you some advance about it, uh, one of the things that actually uh, did it was a uh, same like Ecto, Ecto did it. You know that in, in Ecto version two uh, before, uh, Ecto used to have the adapters within the same project, uh, the SQL yeah. adapters before. Then they decided to move the adapters out of the project to separate repositories, which makes a lot of sense. And then, uh, but of course, Nebulix was already in place. And once your project grows in this way, and, and, and fortunately the, the project uh, has had a lot of uh, good commands and traction and, and a lot, but at the same time, it, it demands more time. Uh, and also uh, you start getting more tickets, more issues. Uh, and and then I, I realized that, yeah, sometimes, uh, and the adapters themselves, they start growing and growing and growing. So I said, okay, the, it makes a lot of sense what Ecto did be, be, because it makes sense to, for each adapter has its own evolution, you know? The fact that uh, that I do something on the adapter, it doesn't mean that I need to touch the framework itself, the, 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 the API itself. So this is, for instance, one change. Uh, we will have Nebulix as, let's say, the, the core project, we will have the decorators there, the API there, but the adapters it will have will be on separate repositories eh, as a separate de- dependencies. Eh, the main reason is again to also address better the issues uh, and isolate the issues. Right? We know that the issue is about a specific adapter. Adapter, we don't need to touch the core project because it hasn't to do with that. Um, so at least the core project is is ready. Eh, um, also, the, the local adapter, I need to, to refactor uh, the rest of the adapters. And, and that's the plan. Once at least the, the, the rest of the adapters, including the Redis one, are ready, I will launch the first release candidate and, and then wait maybe a few months to, to see some feedback, uh, maybe address some issues. Uh, so I expect by February, just launch the, the first release candidate and let's say by May, June, having the first official version, uh, which I think is good because you know that after the release candidate, it's also normal to start receiving commands, maybe bugs, issues. So it's good to give some time. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, uh, is there going to be big API changes though? Um, It sounds like just a couple of small things, not too bad compared to one to two, I believe. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, the the API is going to change uh, because again, we in the version three we introduced the the OKR tuples, but uh, actually I wrote a guide to to migrate from version two to to version three. The good thing is there are let's say uh, analogous versions. So, for instance, if you are doing the the catch dot get, 
uh, in this case, you can just replace it with dot get the bank function, which is going to do this the same thing. No, so most of the cases can be addressed in that way. Um, but yeah, it will require some changes because you, you know every time the API itself changes, if you are using the API directly, uh, yeah, you have to review it and, and maybe and. And also think it's worth to take a look at it because probably you you might want to to use maybe the 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 okay erratopple uh, uh, version of, of the functions. So, um, but yeah, if you are using the decorators, on the other hand, perhaps uh, there is nothing to do. There, there are some few changes there, but it's not going to be that let's say that that critical. It's it's not that. Uh, the change is not uh, that much because the decorators is not changing on, on the API or the form itself. It's just maybe adding new features, maybe changing a little bit the options, uh, but uh, the current options remain as as as, as, as they are. Um, same decorators. So, but of course, I mean, that's why it's always good to see the, the migration guide just to review your project and, and do the correct uh, migration to it. Awesome. I mean, I, I don't know where what else to ask. I mean, I think you've answered basically every single kind of uh, thought that came across my mind, and even more than that, it's yeah. and the documentation is definitely supreme. I mean, your your hands must be tired of typing, typing so much. Yeah, but, but you know, uh, this is one of the things that I've uh, I've I've been improving uh, a lot. This way, I think that documentation is key for for. For the project, uh, I've seen a, a great open source project with very bad documentation, which is very sad because uh, sometimes people don't use it just because of that, because it's not it's it, it, difficult to understand or something like that. I think that documentation is is key for for a project because, especially for this, because this project is I'm aware that it could be complex. You know, it could be simple, but it could be really really complex if you want to use it. In, in in the all the features you now, so that's why uh, I know that the documentation has is a key uh, factor here. Uh, so yeah, I try to to add uh, as much documentation as possible, examples. Uh, actually, we have a project with uh, with also examples uh, for how to uh, craft different catching topologies. Uh, and every time I've seen more uh, blog posts, so that's good because that's also community contributions. Uh, recently, I saw a, a blog post uh, which is which is great. Also explains how to use Netflix, how to set set it up, uh, uh, what is for, and so that's that's good. All right. I mean, is there something that we didn't cover? Uh, that you think we should definitely talk about. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I think this is a great episode. Yeah, I don't. Let me see, but I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, I mean, overall, we have covered uh, pretty much uh, everything. Yeah, including yeah. the the new version. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, again, thanks for thanks for coming on um, and and talking about it, and, and I'm glad that we had this conversation today. Uh, Definitely changed yeah, my likewise. life. I'm gonna take a look at yeah. I'm gonna take a look to see what how we're doing the caching right now for one of our apps because we do have it clustered. So I'm wondering if maybe we can, maybe we should change uh, how we do it. 
because we are saving probably double the data on, on each side. So why not use you know some kind of distributed cache? Makes much yeah. more sense, or one copy of it, or whatever you know. Exactly. This is this is. I mean, this is the things that the, you have to analyze carefully because there is always. Uh, I mean, th there is no perfect solution. There's always pros and cons of, of each decision you make. So it's the replication is nice, but the problem is very fast because you have the copy locally available. But the problem is, yeah, it's based in. You might, I mean, replicate having the same data across all the nodes could be also a problem because you are consuming a lot of memory. So yeah, you can basically move it to the distributed uh, a partition topology either with Redis or even with the partition adapter, and then uh, the the information is going to be distributed across different instances uh, of of the cache, right? The only thing that you have to think about is that now uh, it's not a local call, it's a network call because you have to go to that node and, and retrieve it. So we're talking about maybe, uh, so the latency is going to be higher, but again, I wouldn't be worried because it's still fast, you know? So so people, I, some, sometimes they, uh, I've seen people that they are concerned about few milliseconds or even microseconds. Don't do that. I mean, it, you have to, to to see what is the perfect solution for you, regardless of that. Of course, I mean, the idea is to have a good balance, uh, latency, but also uh, space. In this case, moving to a, to a distributed solution. Even if you use Redis, Redis is super fast. So uh, I'd say that you shouldn't even worry about that. So, but, but yeah, that, that's precisely the... The reasoning that you have to do on your application. So maybe, and also try things out. Uh, this is the best way and measure. This is the best way you can you can decide. Okay, this is this actually works better for us. So let's let's do it this way. Okay. Well, um, thanks for coming on. Uh, we're going to transition over to Pesh. I nearly I nearly forgot actually. <laughs> Remember, I warned you already. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to go ahead and go first, though. Um, so my pick is uh, I've been playing this crazy game called World War Z for the past couple of uh, past year or so, and I, I don't know why I just cannot stop playing it. Um, they just had a new update called uh, Valley of the Zeke, the new series, like a new uh, whole chapter in the game. There's three more levels. It's quite a lot of fun. New game, new new guns and stuff. Uh, yeah. Definitely check it out if you uh, haven't heard about it and you're playing the game. Uh, I think it's well worth it. Um, how about you, Carlos? Do you have anything you you think people should check out? Yeah, actually, I I can I can mention one that I discovered recently. Actually, I think it was last week, which is this. Uh, there is a project. Uh, probably everyone knows the Leap Cluster, which I think I I use it a lot. Uh, but there is a new let's say, a strategy, which is the lip cluster with Postgres, which is really nice because sometimes you know that uh, when we want to build or set up the Lixir cluster, uh, depending on, on your environment, there are several strategies, like if it's AWS, but if it's uh, EC2 instances, or if or if you're going to move to the Kubernetes containers, so there are different strategies to, to, to set up the, the Elixir cluster. And this one is really interesting because sometimes... Even with this one, you can address a, uh, a lot of different scenarios. So I found it very, very, very interesting that I really recommend it. And actually, I, I, will, I will try it out very soon. Awesome. 
Well, again, thanks for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again, maybe to talk about 3.0 and, and uh, Absolutely. See, how, see how it's going. Would be a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah.